0: Welcome back to Cairo Nights. I'm Spike you along with Matt hey, Butler. Great band, of Still with us, by the way. These days, man, you know, I hate that to be the theme. It's far far too often. But the news we have to deliver is that we lost another one.
1: Fan's so stubborn, he'd be arguing with the reaper the whole way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) A texture pointed out that uh, Lisa Loring passed away on Saturday, too. You know who that is, Matt? Lisa Loring was the original Wednesday Adams from the TV show. Just three years, that show was 64 to 66, I believe. But that was so iconic, that uh, the, that Adams Family television show with John Aston and I think it was uh, Carol. Oh, Carol, what was her name? Carolyn Jones played Morticia uh, on, the, on the TV series. And the movies were very, very popular, the Adams Family movies, very, a few different incarnations of the, the folks who played the Adams Family. Um oh uh, what's his name? Angelica Houston played the in that and now now all the rage is the Wednesday show on what is that? Is it Netflix?:
1: Yeah, Wednesday's on Netflix. Have you seen that? I haven't watched it yet, but it's in my queue.
0: Have you seen a thousand different clips yet in your social media feed?
1: As a person who very (laughs) sporadically even browses my own social media feed, I have so far remained spoiler free.
0: You are a lucky, lucky man. I talked a couple weeks ago. I talked. Yes, you are. Talked a couple weeks ago about how uh, social media has spoiled most TV shows for me. I've seen every great scene of Yellowstone, but not a single episode of Yellowstone. Same can be said for the Wednesday series. I've seen many, many clips of Wednesday, but not uh, not a single single episode of Wednesday. That dance scene that Jenna Ortega, the, the the lead actress who plays Wednesday in this series, which I heard was just picked up for a second season, by the way, the Wednesday series. Um, the dance scene actually pays homage to Lisa Loring. One of the uh, most fa- iconic bits that uh, young Wednesday from the 64 to 66, the 60s TV series, The Addams Family. One of her most iconic scenes was this little dance shuffle she did during the show. It was insanely cute for a little, little girl to be doing that. Lisa Loring from the Adams Family television show passed away at 64 years of age from a stroke. Her two daughters were at her side holding her hands when she passed. She had a very troubled life, though, Lisa Loring. Lisa Loring was a child star, and that's never easy to to be a young, successful child star and not have it go sideways. Uh, the, The amount of children, child stars who grew up to become Stable, if not not just successful, but stable people, after being successful as a kid star, it's hard to do. You know, um, Leonardo DiCaprio started out very, very young as an as a as a later season add-on to a television show. I think it was was he on um, Family Ties or something like that. It was whichever one it was. But he, you know, of course, went on to become hugely famous. Natalie Portman started as a child star. Scarlett Johansson started as a child star. Many of them did. Many of this. There is a lot of stars out there who, who had early success and managed to have stable, long-term careers. But so many don't. And Lisa Loring, she tried to stay relevant in her career, taking roles on various sitcoms and television shows. After the Wednesday role that she had, which was a you know a secondary role in that show, but pretty pretty prominent, she was on Barnaby Jones and Fantasy Island. And we're talking about Lisa Loring, the original Wednesday, the Girl from Uncle, which was a spinoff of the Man from Uncle. Did some time uh, on the soaps as the World Turns, but Lisa Loring, I, I read something about her, and this was a few weeks ago. As as the Wednesday show became popular, you know, interest in Lisa Loring's Wednesday started getting some traction again. And I was reading a feature that they had done on Lisa Loring. You know, she was what, maybe seven, eight years old when the Wednesday Adams role came her way in 64. And after that, she tried to remain relevant. She tried to, she got some acting jobs in some kind of B movies, you know, the slasher movie kind of thing. She played the sexy girl, you know, being chased by the, the killer kind of, kind of roles. And then she kind of fell into the adult entertainment industry, but not so much that she wanted to act in these movies. She became a, a makeup artist and a costume designer in adult films in the late 70s and 80s. And she became pretty good at it. And she actually developed a company that would stage shoots. You know how you stage a house? You have like you own uh, couches and you own furnitures and you literally will stage these shoots. And she became that was, you know, and she's trying to find a living. And she, you know, and it, and it was still show business, even though it was adult entertainment. And from what I read in this story, Lisa Loring, who played Wednesday in the original television series, The Adams Family, who passed away on Saturday, never acted in adult film. But she ended up through her work as a, as a staging consultant as a makeup artist on these shoots began writing scripts for these shoots and became pretty connected and, and a big player in the adult film industry in California. You ever see the movie Boogie Nights? Of course. That, yeah. that, that's, that's a reference to that's the kind of the, the working industry in California that were making adult films. And Lisa Loring found herself wanting to stay in the entertainment industry because, and that's like, you know, not like out of ego, but that's That's where her expertise was. That's where her working experiences were in filmmaking, you know, being on a television set, being on a, a movie set. And from what I understand, she fell in love with one of the actors in this adult film industry. And they married with the promise that he would leave the industry. You know, he promised her that I would I'll stop acting in this arena and you know, and I and I forget the gentleman's name who she married. It was in the story that I read. But uh, you know, he, he tried. He tried. He got some B rolls himself, and you know, TV series or you know, second B rate movies. And they had a pretty decent life. They ended up ended up divorcing. But that's that's so hard to to stay relevant when you're a young child star with early, early international success. You were she was a household name. So our our condolences to losing Lisa Loring to a stroke at the age of 64. That's too young. That's barely older than me right now. So believe me, it's much, much, much too young. Yep. We lost Tom Verlaine of television, the band today, 73. Barrett Strong passed away at 81, songwriter, wrote money that the, the Beatles had a hit with. Long after he had a number two record in 1960 with his own composition, "Money," wrote "Papa" was a Rolling Stone, and so many other songs that Matt has played coming in and out of Music Tonight. Keep losing, folks. And like I said, go see the bands you want to see. Don't waste. Your, don't take. Uh, you know. Don't. Don't waste the opportunity to see your heroes in concert. Although I got to tell you, I, I got to see Neil Diamond in concert at the. I mean, Neil Diamond's still around. Don't get me wrong. I don't mean to. Make that comment, but I'm not sure that he's performing anymore. I got to see Frank Sinatra before he passed. I would have loved to have seen Elvis, didn't get to see Elvis before he passed. I'm not sure I'm going to go see Paul Anka. I, I, I respect everybody who will. I'm not sure I need to see that. That's not.
1: I was fortunate enough that I got to see television perform with their full lineup, including Tom Verlaine, several years ago. Wow! It was at a festival called Solid Sound, happens every two years, generally speaking, in western Massachusetts in the Berkshires. And it was a really amazing venue. It was near this old, like, glassworks factory that had been turned into a museum of modern art. And they were playing outside in the amphitheater. And it was one of those days where the it, it was the sun was setting, there were clouds rolling in, there was a chance of a storm that night, and they were playing that song Marquee Moon, which is like a 10-minute nice. song. Nice. It was epic, and I'm very glad I got to see that. I'm
0: glad you got to do that. Too. It's when you can go, man. You know, Stevie Nicks is playing the Climate Pledge Arena, I think, next month. Uh, if you haven't seen Stevie Nicks perform live, if you haven't seen Fleetwood Mac, we'll never see Fleetwood Mac again. You know, uh, last year they toured after Lindsey Buckingham left the band. They picked up Mike Campbell of Tom Petty fame, and they picked up I think it was Nick Finn. Was that the Finn brother they picked up to cover uh, Lindsey Buckingham's parts? It took two people. But Fleetwood Mac toured last year. Christine McVie passed away at the end of 2022. Fleetwood Mac, I guarantee you, while you can replace Lindsey Buckingham, we will not see. I, I'm a we will never see Fleetwood Mac try to play without Christine McVie. It just would not be would not be Fleetwood Mac, even if Lindsey Buckingham came back and they found someone to do the keys and vocals for Christine. I don't think they'll do it. So go see Stevie Nicks if you get a chance. If you haven't seen her, phenomenal talent, Hall of Fame talent, absolutely worth your time and trouble. You know, we could talk a little bit about uh, uh, the the ins- <laughs> yeah we should we should talk about the police officers in in nashville uh the five officers who are facing you know secondary murder charges because uh and and the, the, what I, but what i want to talk about for this story is not so much how horrific the videos that was released on friday afternoon uh that was of course ridiculously <sighs> I mean, the words can't begin to describe how horrific that video is. Tyree Nichols died three days later. Now they're talking uh, that three different members of the Memphis – it's not Nashville, Memphis, excuse me. uh, The Memphis Fire Department are being – two have been fired. One has been put on administrative leave, I think, because they didn't respond adequately. Follow protocol, follow the Memphis Fire Department protocol in treating Tyree Nichols when they arrived on the scene. And that may have made a difference. He passed away three days later from the injuries sustained in the attack by those five officers. But I think what I want to what I'd like to talk about is how worried everybody was on Friday about the response from not and not just the African-American community, the response from everybody who, you know, is is tired of. The very, very, very small percentage of officers, law enforcement officers who use excessive force and take take too much control into their own hands, the law into their own hands, become judge, jury, and sometimes executioner on just what should be random traffic stops or random interactions with the public. And everyone was worried that the, the horrific video of Tyree Nichols beating – Would result in civil unrest and and violent protest. And while there was protests in numerous cities around the country. Including here in Seattle. It wasn't violent. It wasn't destructive. You can of course see isolated incidents of. I saw some excuse me. I saw somebody push a photographer who was taking video of a, a protest. And somebody reached out and kind of pushed the camera away. And you know they tried to make a lot out of that, but I, that that wasn't that wasn't the scale of, of violent protest and destruction that people were calling for, or not no, no predicting excuse me predicting no one's calling for it. People were predicting that Friday night, and given the you know the history of violent protests in this country, I can understand the the, the caution and the fear that that might happen, but it didn't. We, we had peaceful protests in numerous cities and due in large part to the fact that the officers involved in this were charged very quickly. You know, all five officers involved. And now, in fact, two other officers that weren't even weren't part of those initial five. One has been, I think, uh, dismissed and one has been put on administrative leave for their role after the after the after the initial incident. Their inability to act accordingly, respond within guidelines to the situation, members of the fire department, members of the police department. And I think that that's why we didn't have violent protests. That's why we didn't have property destruction, because it seems to me the authorities are doing the right thing in how they're handling this, how they're handling these officers and the extra different peripheral folks involved in this incident. It isn't that what the community has been protesting about is the lack of response, the lack of proper accountability when these kind of things happen. Of course, these things, they should never happen and they happen far too frequently and that gets the community frustrated and incensed. But it's, it seems to me it's often the lack of accountability that is the worst insult, the worst injury and insult to that community. And I say that community because I've, you know, I've never been a part of worrying about the police department. I've never been, you know, lived in a community where I didn't think the police were on my side. And I know a lot of people live places and feel that way. And again, I'm not disparaging law enforcement in any way, shape or form. I said numerous times and I'll say a thousand other times. It's a small, small, small percentage of a percentage of officers that abuse their power. So as, as a white guy in America, I've never had to worry about that. You know, I don't look threatening. I don't dress in threatening clothes. I don't find myself in situations that have tendencies to, to lead to violence or criminality. And that's what I, when officers have used excessive force, you often hear the rationale. I was afraid for my life. I was afraid that this person would be armed or was aggressive you know, and, and don't get me wrong, officers have the right to be safe. They do a horrific, horrifically dangerous job. They have the right to, to feel safe, to feel safe and, do, and be safe in doing their job. And if there's honest cause for concern, they should act accordingly. It just seems that far too often there is no rational reason to use excessive force or to feel threatened, to fear for their life. That's often the defense. And far too often, the court cases don't end up in what seemed like pretty obvious cases where convictions are appropriate. Far too often, that's what happens. And that's what the community is, is goes bananas over. That's what makes the community lose control. And I hope that this case, which has already resulted in the, in the criminal, criminal charges against five officers, others in both law enforcement and the fire department of Memphis, losing their job with... In re- in response to how they handle the situation, I hope that when this goes to trial, it's a, if they're guilty, and it seems from the video that they are, that justice is served. And there's some technicality because that's when there will be trouble. That's when there will be protests and violent protests and property destruction in the street. The officers have been charged. Let's make sure that justice is served, if that's what's appropriate and deemed you know in a court of law that it's served. Tyra Knights, i Spike O'Neill. Matt Butler's at the border. We'll be right back after these.
2: Nothing impresses me much. I've got it.
0: In the lawn. I want to thank Rashibo, but my mojo gone. Welcome back to Cairo Nights. I have no idea who this is,
1: Matt. This is an artist by the name of Father John Misty. He's one of the most brilliant indie rock singer songwriters oh, of recent memory.
0: Is.
2: From just around
0: the bend. Nice. Oh, <laughs> like uh, hope you guys had a good Monday. Starts week off on the right foot. Had a good weekend around town. Watched a little football this yesterday. You know, watched watched the games. Neither game was what I wanted it to turn out to be. You know, the Eagles just steamrolled the Niners after after the Niners lost both their starting quarterbacks. and These were the number three and four quarterbacks. That game was, you know, I said last week how much I, while I hate the Niners, I really do. I dislike the San Francisco 49ers because there are, you know, NFC West rival and you're supposed to hate your rivals. You're supposed to hate everybody in your division, at least as a football fan, I think you're supposed to hate everybody in your division. But, you know, Brock Purdy was a, was a good story, Mr. Irrelevant, the last guy taken in the draft. You know, that was a good story that this kid had stepped up when his team needed him, when the starting quarterbacks were injured. And uh, he had led them to, what oh, was it, five straight wins from him? I think it was, you know, something like that. He, I mean, the kid played incredibly down the stretch. Played incredibly competent football. You didn't, you need, didn't need him to be a hero. He had a pretty solid, balanced offense and a great defense. And that was enough to win championships. You know, the the number, the list of mediocre quarterbacks who have won Super Bowls, they're out there, like Brad Johnson in Tampa, like Trent Dilfer in Baltimore. You know, all you need is a game manager at that point to win you a Super Bowl. And it looks like Brock Purdy was on his way to do it, and it was like the second offensive player or something, got hit in the elbow and was taken out of the game. Then their fourth-string guy went in, and he got the same injury, I think, got hit in the elbow. Purdy had to come back and just couldn't throw the ball more than 10 yards. Game was over at that point, 31-7. And I'm watching the second game yesterday. The Bengals and the Chiefs. And and you know, not to get too far down the, the sports rabbit hole, but I, I I hate teams being successful year in, year out, year in, year out. One of the things I dislike about baseball is that it's a real league of haves and have nots. You know, it's always the Yankees, Dodgers, Red Sox, Astros. You know, it's always those same upper echelon teams who have huge markets with huge TV contracts that can buy up all the stars and load their rosters. And they have a luxury tax in baseball, try to level the playing field, but it really doesn't work. Football, at least, seemed to have, with the salary cap, spread the wealth. You know, everybody had the exact same amount of money to spend on players, so you had to manage your resources, but there are certain organizations that have just been there year in and year out. And the Chiefs have become one of those. You know, with Patrick Mahomes, now they're, they're in their third, quarter, third Super Bowl in four years. The only reason they didn't go last, uh, last year was Joe Burrow and those same Cincinnati Bengals. So Burrow and Mahomes, they're, they're on the up. They're on the come up. They're young superstars in the NFL. And the AFC's got a bunch of them. Josh Allen and Buffalo. Young, smart, strong quarterbacks. And and I, I like that. That's good to see. You know, I get tired of the Chiefs year in year out for the last few years. I, you know, but at least it's I'm celebrating another year without Tom Brady in the Super Bowl for me. That's great, right? Great. I love it. Tom Brady may never play again, but I, I hear he's being courted by so many different teams, by the Raiders, by the I think the Commanders going to go after him. Who knows? He'll play somewhere. Tam, I heard Miami was going to go after him because the guy can still play, and he's better than a third of the quarterbacks in your league. So why wouldn't you go after him if that was your best option? I don't know if you watched yesterday's Chiefs. I know Matt. I don't think you watched it. You're not a big football watching kind of guy.
1: I didn't see this game. I generally try to catch the Sunday games, though, but I unfortunately missed that one. Yeah. but I saw I saw the clip that you showed me, though.
0: Yeah, that's that, It was it was heartbreaking. It was just heartbreaking because it was you know it was a it was a pretty good game. The Chiefs and the and the Bengals. They've been playing. I think the last four games they've played, including yesterday's, have all been decided by a field goal with the Bengals winning like three in a row against the Chiefs. And the Chiefs have been just a juggernaut in the, in the AFC. So here's the game going down to the wire. It's fourth quarter. You know, the uh, both defenses are really stepping up. The uh, Bengals rallied from being, I think they were 10 down at one point before they even scored, and they rallied it tied up in the fourth quarter. And each team gets a shot at the, at having a possession, and neither team can move it down the field to kick just a field goal to win it. And, you know, the Chiefs get the ball at home. Patrick Mahomes, like 35 seconds left. Got to be real smart play, good clock management. And as Mahomes is running out of bounds, he gets pushed at the sideline. And I just felt for the the kid who, you know, I, can, I can't think of his name. I apologize. Textures could probably help me. I'm trying to look it up on ESPN, but that never goes well. I can never do multitasking by talking to you and trying to look some up at the same time Osai I guess his name is yeah Joseph Osai Jose I'm not sure how to pronounce that anyway this kid this linebacker is chasing chasing the quarterback he's trying to get enough you know yardage to get a first down and get one more play one more shot at it in regulation and as Mahome's is running out of balance this kid gives him a little shove Just, i mean it was a and it was a penalty It wasn't like a bad call. It wasn't even a questionable call. Mahomes is a yard out of bounds. And this kid pushes him in the back. Joseph Osai attacks 15 yards onto the play. And so the Chiefs have to kick a 45 and not a 60-yard field goal to win the game. And the game's over. You play your whole season. You play, what, eight months by the time you go to camp. And you play your preseason games. And you play your 17-game extended schedule now and every round of the playoffs. And you're on the road. Hostile environment. Chiefs say they have the loudest stadium in football, but they cheated to get that number. We'll talk about that another time. But and here's this this kid just trying to, you know, make a play. Lost his head in just one split second. Everything changed. The whole season comes down to one play. That's that was just heart. It was a heartbreaking finish for that one for me. Hated seeing that. But it happens. With so many things going on in the world these days, it's nice to have some besides, you know, the government, the economy, police brutality. It's nice to have something else to talk about. Hey, are you a podcast fan, Matt? Yeah, though it's
1: really hard for me to find time to listen to all of the podcasts that I want. So I tend to have a feed of several dozen that I'm not caught up on. There's never enough hours in the day. I wish I could listen to sep- – I wish I had the brain power to listen to two separate things, one in each ear, and process them both. <laughs> then I could get in double the listening.
0: Oh, my gosh. I would go nuts. I would go nuts with trying to take on that much information. I wish there was more time to listen to all the things I want to hear. You're right. I, I, I feel the same way. Are you, a, are you a true crime or a crime – podcast fan?
1: I haven't gotten into those, but not for lack of curiosity. It's just that I know if I add something else that I'm not going to get around right. to listening no, to. I hear you. So I feel like I'm missing out and it's something I would listen to, but I never seem to find the time. But I know those are a huge deal. They're very popular.
0: My wife's got this one called My Favorite Murder and it's it's two ladies and I forget their name, uh, but she listens to it a lot. The Defendants? Um, <laughs> no, um, that's called my favorite murder. That's the name of the podcast and it, it's two ladies do it. I'm not sure who, what their names are, but they're, they just go back through history and find, you know, unique murders and they talk about that for a, they take one murder and talk about it for each podcast.
1: 35 million downloads per month
0: of my favorite murder. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you talk about big business. They tour the country and, and do them live. And they will, they, And what they will do is as they book a tour around the country, they'll investigate ahead of time that town's most famous murder, usually unsolved, but doesn't have to be. And they'll highlight that town's murder in their live performance at the show. And they have a Q&A at the end of that. I've listened to so many of these with my wife. My wife listens to them when we travel by car, because I'm a captive audience in the car with her. But they'll have folks in the audience come up and ask questions or talk about the murder in their life. My uncle did this, or my cousin was had his... Blah, 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 or my next-door neighbor was killed, and then didn't find... It's, it's a fascinating thing. But there's a, a real debate now about, about whether... If you're a fan of these shows, if you're a fan of murder shows on TV or in podcasts... What's that say about you as a fan? There's a CNN Entertainment story on their website about fans are starting to question their own ethics of being a fan of of murder shows. Remember when the Dahmer show was number one last summer? And, you know, the Dahmer family was like, why is my misery your entertainment? So now there's a debate about whether or not it's okay to be a fan of these shows. Gotta to touch on it when we get back. It's Kyra Knights, Spike O'Neill, and Matt Butler. We'll be right back. Human League, right? Ah, some of the stuff I know. You're more table twist, I'll get it every time. I'm Spike O'Neill, welcome back to Kyra Knights with Matt Butler. Always picking the hits. So if you're a fan of true crime, you're not alone. It's the most popular genre on television, podcast, docuseries, you name it. It's not just Dahmer, too, man, everything. And the question is, are we as fans, are we unethical for digging this? Are we, are we serving, you know, serving up, they're serving up these, these pieces of entertainment that we just, we consume them at an incredible rate. And sometimes it's unhealthy for us to do that. oftentimes it's hurtful. To the families of the victims. The story on CNN talks about the the difference of true crime or, you know, docu-series, dramatizations. The Dahmer series, by the way. The actor who played Dahmer, Evan Peters, won a Golden Globe. And the family of the victims of Jeffrey Dahmer who were first off upset that, that Netflix was making the series. And then when it's celebrated and becomes the number one show out there and the guy wins a Golden Globe for making Dahmer almost a cult hero they say that's where the problem lies you know it's one thing to be fascinated by crime we've always had that morbid curiosity we've all got that you know drive by a car wreck we always want to rubberneck that's that's human nature and it's one thing if these series focus on the victims you know and the, and their families and all the people that this horrific these horrific events affected that seems to be that doesn't cross the line of bad ethics, of being unethical.
1: And that story, those sorts of stories have been told in fiction, too. Take, for example, the series Dexter.
0: Yes, of course. Yes.
1: But when it's talking about real things, when it's talking about real cases, a lot of people are profiting very heavily off things that cause victims trauma and the, their families, There their survivors. It's... They should at least be doing something with their profits or a portion of their profits to benefit victims' organizations and helping cause some healing rather than just telling these stories.
0: Bobby Miller is an entertainment expert and host of an entertainment podcast called The Afternoon Special, and she said basically the same thing. When you see movies that treat fiction like reality, uh, but when we watch these true crime series or these... These Murder Docu series is my favorite murder podcasts. and there's nothing wrong with any of them but they treat fiction like real life or real life like it's fiction they dramatize this real life tragedy and and they do so at the expense of the, the the rehashing these memories re-traumatizing these the families of these victims and far too often they do try to make heroes out of the people who who commit these crimes and that's where the, the the lack of ethics comes into play, and not to mention you know the 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 multi multi million dollar industry of this of these these podcasts, these TV shows, the merch that goes with them. This is my murder mystery watching blanket with blood stains all over it. You know this coffee cup, Rose red, violets of blue. I've seen so many true crime shows. I'll never find you. You know you people love this stuff, and it's and and the study says it's mostly. Mostly women who are fans of these true crime shows.
1: Has there been any study on why that is?
0: Lisa, come on in. Lisa's like, Lisa's out there waving her arms like, Lisa, uh, there uh, uh, there are studies as to why women find these more popular. Lisa is obviously a fan. Lisa Brooks, ladies and gentlemen. No? You're not a fan of true crime?
2: I'm not a fan, but I do have a theory. Okay. And I think that when we watch these things and we listen to these things, they bring up the emotions that are the trauma that we may be feeling in other areas of our life. And so Mm. maybe we're getting in touch with some other kind of fear and this helps us to deal with whatever else is going on in our lives.
0: Well, interesting that you that it's it's happening to someone else. Yes. Okay.
2: You don't have to internalize it personally, but you can get in touch with that emotion.
0: Do you think? And I'm just going to ask your opinion yeah. on this because none of us are psychological experts or or criminologists. Do you think that it's more that these series are more popular with women because women have been the I don't please don't take this the wrong way the weaker sex in our society not just currently but if you look back long term. Women have been more vulnerable. Women have been less, uh, have been victimized far more often than men.
2: Yes, I would, I would, I'm glad you removed the words weaker sex. But yes, yeah, I, I, think I, women I was trying to find been, the right way
0: to say that. They've been victimized.
2: Yes, men are often much more violent and mm-hmm. women are more frequently the victims of that violence. So in a way, I think it allows you to get control over some of that I'm not saying, you know, I support Mm-mm. it. I don't like those things
0: because they freak me out. I, I, I find my wa- my wife watches, listens to far too many for my comfort level. I try to sleep with one eye open. <laughs> but but I, I think that maybe since women have been victimized societally for so long, for, thou- for, for all of history, these always have a conclusion. Mm-hmm. Somebody's always getting caught, getting yes. busted. I mean, for the most part, sometimes they're unsolved mysteries. That's another whole flavor of these genres. But I think for, for a gender that has been victimized for throughout eons of time, to constantly hear somebody getting caught being bad probably has a soothing and a justifying effect.
2: Yes. That's, and you think, and it also helps you think, well, if I was in that situation, what would I do? So in some ways it's empowering in that sense too.
0: You know, it's funny, John and Sherry were talking about this. and Sherry, I didn't know, used to be the public relations officer for a... A methadone clinic. Right. And yeah. I think she also said for like a corrections oh, okay. facility. for for one, And I forget where she said. But that she, her policy was not to let these uh, production companies, television shows, podcasters, whatever, wouldn't let them speak to the inmates uh, that were in the system she worked for. She was the public relations officer or she was the public information. I, forget, I, I apologize for not having all the details. But that they would often approach her office about contacting these various criminals – to interview them for podcasts or TV shows, and Sherry wouldn't let that happen because it, it it tended to, you know, glorify the the criminals and make them the the stars of these productions, for, for, or whether to play the villain or whatever. See that. But that she said, if it were more focused on the families and the victims, mm-hmm. that these horrific acts, then maybe that would have been she would have allowed that access a lot more often than she did. Wow. But she also said she never watched the show to learn how to protect herself. John kind of put it out there today. Maybe women are the ones who watch these shows because they're trying to pick up tips on what not to do. And and I think that may happen. I think there's an element. To I, I think there is, too. You know, you know, always walk with your keys out. Always don't, you know, park your car under the and street. You like You yep. see these things so commonly, you know, time after time after time in these shows. And, and they do have that benefit yep. to show what people are doing wrong so many times. Don't do don't do that. Don't make the same mistakes. Sherry said that that wasn't the reason she watched them because she's a big fan of this of this genre and she wasn't watching them to pick up tips but I bet she did pick up some tips you know subconsciously and I think some folks watch them for just that reason to you know feel like okay justice does happen you know and and there's a pattern to folks who are victimized and maybe if we see it again and again we'll learn what to not to do and be ourselves safer in, in doing so. I don't disagree. I like when you come in. Thank you. Anytime. You don't have to you don't have to wave an okay. permission. that you, that door's not locked. But right. I'm on, come on in anytime you want to come that. in. No, I won't. Lisa Brooks Lisa, <laughs> never gentlemen. do. I never do, man. You kidding me? You guys you have great insight. Matt does Utah. When when's Frank coming back? Are we having him back this week some Absolutely. night?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, Thursday. Good.
0: Good. Um thank you, Lisa. Uh yeah, anytime. Uh I I worry that my wife watches far too many of the things as as a as a husband in a marriage, and every time you come into a room, your wife is watching somebody else get stuffed into a bag. Well, I'll put it's a, just just a little uns- to this. <laughs> okay.
1: sh- do, do wives and girlfriends worry when their guys love watching shows about the mafia and drug dealers?
0: Hmm. Great question. Are did, we are if, we worshiping? If a guy yeah. was
1: like heavily into Breaking Bad, did did uh, partners across the country suddenly start to worry that their mellow uh, partner, their guy, their, <laughs> their high science school teacher, teacher, science yeah, teacher yeah. was cooking <laughs> on the side? I,
0: I I don't know that that's not an unrealistic fear, man. You know, I couldn't tell you how many people I know who, once their significant other started watching Yellowstone. There was a lot more denim and flannel in their life. There was a lot. Also, why what are you doing? wearing a cowboy hat? You know, call me Rip. What, I don't know. Whatever, you know. We talked about the merch that goes with all these murder shows. Um, I saw some lady wearing a shirt that said, every woman needs a little Rip in her jeans. And I'm like, oh, my God. That could, that's, that's good merch right there. That's good stuff for you Yellowstone fans. Anyway, it's Cairo Nights. I'm Spike O'Neill along with Matt Butler. We'll be right back.